Thank you so much for tuning in to Wove Inspiration, the Monday edition. I am your host, Althea Richardson, and today my special guest is Miss Sabrina Williams. She's a chaplain as well as the host of Rolling with the Diva podcast. She is also the eldest daughter of Richard Williams, well-known father of two of the greatest tennis players in the world, Venus and Serena. In this interview, Sabrina is sharing her heartbreaking childhood, not for fame or fortune, but to share how she was able to move forward despite the obstacles she faced without a father and to clear the air regarding any hard feelings about the Williams dynasty. So enjoy this interview with Miss Sabrina Williams on Wove Inspiration, the Monday edition. Today's show is sponsored by Anchor.fm. If you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Today, my special guest is, and I use that, I don't use that word loosely. She is a very special guest to me. Um, She was someone that gave me my first opportunity to be interviewed. And needless to say, I was very nervous um, being able to use my voice and share my story. And now I am blessed and fortunate to have her to be on my show to share her voice and her story as well. Her name is Sabrina Williams. Now, let me give you just a general background story on this individual. And um, the names that I'm gonna give you, of course, you will definitely be familiar with. And um, so Richard Williams told his eldest daughter, Sabrina, eight at the time, he was going to go out to buy her a bike before walking out of the door, never to return, leaving then-wife, Betty, to raise their six children. And just a few years later, Richard started a new life with another woman and had two girls, Serena and Venus, who went on to become tennis legends. So now tonight she is going to speak about the famous Williams dynasty. And right now she is, you're not a trainee anymore. Is that correct? You are an actual, you are a chaplain for real. Yeah, I'm actually a chaplain. Um, My first, yes, I am. Yes. Good, good, good. And so she has graciously uh, blessed me to come on to Wove Inspiration and share her story about her heartbreaking childhood. So Sabrina, thank you so much for being on the show today. Althea, no, thank you. It's my honor. And I've seen Wolf uh, grow into a major, major God blessing of many women and people. So it's my honor. Thank you. Thank you. So let's go ahead and get started on your story. Well, let's actually start from the beginning because in the beginning with your, with your family, from let's say from age one to eight, everything was was going well for you. Is that correct? Yes, it was. Actually, my mom and dad were together. I um, was with my five other brothers and sisters 
um, including uh, those five included my half sister from my mom's first marriage. Her husband passed away. Okay. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about how it was with you and your family and, and the dynamics as far as your mom and dad. Um, you know, it's really funny because I just remember the part where we didn't want for anything. Um, we, there was stores like Broadway that my parents shopped at, um, and just life was good. You know, um, my parents, yes, they were having difficulty getting along. Um, I was under the impression that my, um, and little things like my mom would call my dad cheater, mm-hmm. things like that, but not really understanding what it meant. Um, you know, just a lot of arguing. And then my dad um, was physical uh, abusive with my mom. And, and um, that probably was the last turning point for my mom when my dad, I think had, he had attempted to hit her. And that was basically my dad saying, hey, I'm going to go get a bicycle for you. And that was when I was eight. And my youngest baby sister, Renika, I think was only maybe two, three months old. I think I'm not, I can't even really remember, but she was not even a year old. Okay. Wow. That's, that's, I'm, I'm trying to picture, okay. <laughs> Let me make sure that I establish this um, right up front. Um, and this is for the audience for my show. This is about inspiring, encouraging and uplift women to becoming all they were predestined to be. So in speaking about the Williams family and, you know, the well-known tennis players of Venus and Sabrina, this is not about um, a a scandal or trying to defame anyone. This is about people becoming whole and, and using women, using their voice to address things that happened in their past because a lot of women will walk around in pain for years and years and years and to the point where it's like someone's walking around with a, a, a bomb in their hand and then all of a sudden it, it just explodes everywhere and affects everyone. And so I'm, I'm thankful and grateful, uh, Sabrina, that you have decided to uh, share your story with me, um, even with the fact that the individuals that are involved are, are very well known, but the, the overall goal is about uh, healing um, women who have had the same experience or something similar to what you experienced. So talk to me about the day that your mom told you, hey, your, your dad's not actually coming back. How, how did you feel on that day? You know, I, I don't remember. I just remember like, I'm still thinking probably she's wrong because my dad said he would be back with the bike. So I didn't really, really believe my mom. I thought my mom was making that up. And unfortunately that sort of kind of thing went on with me not believing anything she had to say about my dad until, um, well, until I was probably um, closer to my thirties. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so let's go forward just a little bit. We're looking at 
a year after all of that has taken place, what started to change in your family at that point? A lot. Um, I remember that, I don't know if it was a year or two after my um, parents got divorced, but we moved to a a place called West Covina, California, which at that time was um, predominantly, and I'm going to say 99% Caucasian American people. Um, there were very few Blacks, if any, um, if, if that many, I mean. And so we moved there. We were very poor. We went from always having food on the table to my mom having to get welfare. And at that time, there was actually food stamps, which mm -hmm. were they were in a book and they were actually look like, you know, a dollar or they look like money, but they were actually food stamps. Yeah. She had those. Um, it was times where, you know, for years that we didn't have always, my mom always tried to provide food for us, but there were times where it was really a struggle. And I knew that. So I would eat less of my brothers that were younger and my sister could have more food. Mm -hmm. My mom didn't know that, but that's what I did, you know, cause I never wanted to burden her with that, but I knew I would, a lot of times eat less, but that led into years later, me um, hoarding food, um, using food emotionally, and um, being scared that I was not going to have food, and I would overeat or stockpile food. So um, it was really hard. I remember my mom, we started going to a Jehovah Witnesses church, and um, I don't remember if that was the church we went to when I was a kid, or if that was something... Um, I'm still trying to figure that out if my mom and my dad was um, had always been that way or what. But my mom, we joined Jehovah Witness Church, which became to me a nightmare because we were always at some kind of meeting. Um, we were always with the church and having to be prim and proper and um, a lot of controlling behaviors and them telling my mom how to handle us and mm -hmm. my mom could handle us but the biggest thing that happened was the abuse my mom became very stressed out and um, very angry and that abuse um came, played into physical um abuse and verbal abuse and whatever else happened but most of the time it was just physical my mom just couldn't handle it she grabbed whatever she could most of the time it was switches or ironing cords, like, you know, literal iron cords that she mm -hmm. could whoop us with. And um, and I learned really early to try not to get in trouble, even though I was not um, the one getting, having all the family problems, as such as my brothers were in trouble and things like that. But I learned early to try to keep the house clean. And it didn't, I learned early it didn't matter who, who dirtied the kitchen, but it better be clean when mom came home from work or um, there was hell to pay. And, uh, and I just remembered a couple of times of the, the beatings being bad where, you know, they were blood coming off my legs and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and just um, the, some of those marks are still there. They don't go away. They're like, yeah. well, I can attest them to is I was never in slavery, but if people can remember what slavery the concept of people being beat, that's exactly your skin is taken off of you. Those cords are hard. They really mm -hmm. are. So that was, and that went on a lot. I, I basically stayed out of trouble and tried not to. There were times that I would take the brunt of a punishment for my brothers because I just couldn't stand at times to see them getting, you know, spanked and stuff. So mm -hmm. um, 
but I learned really fast to not to get in trouble yeah. and just to keep things clean and to please people, which was a, a horrible thing later in life for me. And I've had to re-educate myself on a lot of those things. Yeah. yeah. And so as um, you got, became older and everything, um, what what started to change at that point, especially in your teenage years when you're you're already trying to um, adjust with with your body and, and and adjust with you know trying to grow up and things of that sort, and then with you having gone going through what you were going through with your mom and everything, um, what what was going on with you at that point? Well, we end up um, so we're still in West. Well, now we're in Hacienda Heights. Um, California, still just a, maybe over the hill used to be the main road it was called Kalima. You just have to live in California and Hacienda Heights to know that road Kalima goes a long ways. But we lived in this house, which was the his, most hysterical thing. We lived in the house on, in the hill on top of the hill that was straight up 3.5 miles. The bus didn't always go up there. Well, did not go up there, so we had to walk up and down. Mm-hmm. But um, we lived in this, this house was amazing. Our neighbors thought we were super rich, but we didn't have a lot of furniture in the house. I don't think some, for the first year or two we had any. Okay. Um, so we, everybody thought, oh, they're rich. You know, they're black people, they're rich. And oh my gosh. And then we went to the school that was all white, except for just happened to be that, I think it was one or two. No, it was another family named Williams. And, and I still talk to Glenn and Dwayne and everything to this day. Um, and they were another family, but those guys were jocks and they were really basically respected because they were jocks and were on the team, football team and things. Um, and didn't really talk to them a lot, but um, I think to say there was maybe out of the 500 kids in our school at that time, there was probably only eight black kids, the mm-hmm. total. So, it, you know, we had, I was a fighter from junior high. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been fighting since I've been in elementary school and not with the reasons people think. And this is how I have to explain it. Okay. So in my life, and I still do this, I just don't beat you now. If you're five, get tired of telling you stuff. Let me just preference that with that. Uh-huh. So I give people three times. They could be three times over a span of two months, a year, 10 years. But if I tell you the third time, I'm done playing with you yeah. and, um, and you will get it. So, and a lot of times in school, because I was very, very big chested, well endowed, and I think I was a 36C in um, sixth grade. People okay. pulled my bra, people pulled my hair, and I just would beat them up after the third time because I got tired of talking to you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I got telling you, stop messing with me. And then I beat you up, and then people left me on, and then they became my friends. <laughs> so, you know, I went into junior high, sort of kind of doing that same thing. and. With people because I just didn't like to be bothered. I don't like to be called names. Don't call me um, the N-word. Don't just leave me alone. Yeah. And I was a kid who was in the hospital a lot because I had asthma. And I was, and I preferred to be in the hospital. I'm going to be honest. I looked forward to the times that I was in the hospital for one or two months at a time because we're blessed now. But when at my day, and I'm 55, we did not. <laughs> I repeat, we did not have these inhalers and these, all these other um major equipment we mm-hmm. had a pill and it took that pill sometime one hour to two hours to work and you'd be on the side of the bed when i was at home on my knees because that's what the best way it felt trying to get your breath for one or two hours mm-hmm. so when it came very serious when i ended up with men- meningitis twice and i think pneumonia i would be in the hospital for one or two months those are the best times because 
everybody catered to me. I didn't have to be home. There was no whoopings. There was nothing. Yeah. My mom really didn't come visit me because she was trying to work, which was fine. And the nurses became my family. Okay. And so um, it was just, it was just really like, oh my gosh. And so I walked with a limp. So people would make fun of me. And then I went into high school and, and again, I met one of my best friends because I beat her up because she was annoying me. Um, <laughs> and then um, she became my friend and we were still best friends 35 um, years later, Cecilia Merrill and Leanne um, Wurz, very great women. And so I um, finally one football player, really nice guy whose family was really rich, but he wasn't like, he didn't care about my color. He just said, you know, girls don't go around beating up people. I was like, and I loved him, like literally loved him. So I was like, okay. And I stopped beating up people. So that was, that was like that. But inside I was holding all this emotions and anger. And, yeah. and so what I would do is I would just, like my mom got to the point as we got older where there was always, we had Twinkies and things like that. And Ding Dongs was my favorite, mm -hmm. which I hate today, but I would just hide those under the bed and eat extra and, um, if I was upset with my mom, I, I wasn't going to say anything because I get beat, you know, I'm not talking to you. So, okay, fine. You don't smack, you don't smack off to my mom. You don't say, I don't think so. Not what people are doing today. Uh, -uh Cause I, <laughs> yeah. if I would wait, you know, so I was like, okay. So I became angry that way. Really frustrated that my brothers were in and out of juvenile hall. We had to go visit them. I would get groped by the officers when I would go visit my brothers, my mom wouldn't believe me. And finally, just one day I just said, you know, you're, I'm not going. Those, those guys are touching me where they're not supposed to be. And my mom didn't say anything, but she didn't make me go. My mom, my mom never, it was really hard for me because my mom didn't talk to me a lot of things about a lot of things. She didn't tell me what a period was. Okay. Um, and so I ended up having to find it out from the, one of the guys at school, the guy, Scott, who was nice enough to tell me when he saw the blood on my pants, all everybody else was laughing at me all day. So um, my mom didn't tell me about that. Mm -hmm. So um, she just avoided those issues. My mom didn't really tell me about wearing a bra. I had to just go try on her bras and figure it out myself. Okay. Um, but it was just, it was things like that where I just became um, just angry. Mm -hmm. um, just wanting to always take my life one figuring out how to end it, mm -hmm. um, never really doing anything. And then when I turned 18, I accepted Jesus Christ into my life at Covina First Baptist. I think I did it more out of uh, people were nice and they fed me food, okay. which anybody who knows me today knows as that's my favorite thing uh, is food. So, and it was a nice little church, and I became I did become deeper in Christ there, and um, and just it was just like wow. Okay, this is good. You try to become the perfect Christian, but at the same time, um, doing things that I'm not supposed to be doing. You know, just, I was drinking much. Um, I think it was not until my um, 20s, I started watching porn because nobody wanted to be with me. And I just thought that that's what people did because I heard people talking about it. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know. And I, um, that went on for a long time. And I, um, at 18, I met um, a guy in college that we were friends for years, years. And then I think in my 24s, I came back from college and we started dating. And 
you know, and um, I was having sex. No, we weren't having sex out of marriage. And just until, yeah, we were, we did because I ended up pregnant and then with abortion because he said, oh, I can't keep the baby. You can't keep. And I was at that point at a different church, really strong Christian. Mm-hmm. Wasn't a, I, I honestly considered myself in a relationship with God at that time, even though I was a Christian, because I was just doing the, de- the deed as far as mm-hmm. going to church, being involved in everything and, Hey, I'm a good Christian and look at me. And yeah. And the thing for me was um, I would go to camps and camps were the way um, for me to sometimes get attention because I knew if I said I wanted to kill myself, everybody focused on me mm-hmm. um, and they tried to get me help. But, you know, they just you know, the church is just like, and I realized, well, that's not the way because they just want to tell you, you got to pray more. You got to have faith more. And I was like, well, this is ridiculous. So yeah. Um, still yeah. not realizing at that point I had mental health issues until one day I really did try to take my life and, and God showed me. And so the police department, they put me on a 5150 for three days okay. and that zapped me pretty much out of like, I'm not doing this. Um, I'm not going to do this because I don't want to be in the hospital. And um, thank God it didn't go on my record permanently, mm-hmm. which is God's way of showing it. I'm going to tell you throughout this whole time, even when I was younger, Althea, God had his hand on every part of my life. When I look yes. back even 10 years ago, even now, God had his hand on everything in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, um, going based on the um, article that I received from the U.S. Uh, Sun, um, there was a time that you lived in your car for six to seven months. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, because I went to, um, I was going to go to, I was trying to go, I was at, it was called Pacific Christian College in Fulton, and now it's called Hope University, but I wanted to go there, um, didn't have a lot of money, part of it is I just wanted, part of it was I wanted to live in Orange County, didn't have all the money, I realized, okay, I can save the money if I sleep in my car and get to my goal, I was had a regular job, new, and then I went to college and um, was living in there until my dean found out. People helped me get, you know, get um, a place and on campus and they helped me get some financial aid. And um, mm-hmm. because at that time, uh, my dad was um, was always on the whenever I and it's not a lot of times I talked to my dad in those years. But whenever I did get a hold of him or a family member, he would talk to me and then change his phone number, talk to me and change his phone number. And it would be, just became where I was like, you know. I still didn't see my dad as a bad guy at that point. I just thought, oh, you know, he's just busy and make up an excuse. Still blaming my mom. Okay, okay. So you did, um, how, how um, soon after um, you were basically out on your own did you start seeing your dad or, or even started contacting your dad? I really didn't. I um, asked my brothers and sisters because... Um, it was a unspoken silence in the family that we don't really talk about dad um, and you don't want to make mom upset. And, and I didn't really, really the times that I ran in my, to my dad was from a sibling or a relative saying, Oh, you're, you know, I have your dad's phone number. That was it. I wasn't searching out for my dad because mm-hmm. I was still like in between, like in, in my mind, I was like, my mom is preventing, but in my heart, I really did know my dad was never going to come back. But that in my, if you talk to my mind, that my heart and mind are set, were separate. Now they're not. Mm-hmm. I just was like, well, you know, maybe he's still going to come back. Maybe that's hope. So I didn't really like 
reach out for him until I was, and I didn't reach out here for him when I was 26. I just so happened to be working with disabled adults and I was in Knott's Berry Farm and Buena Park, California and said, oh, that looks like my dad. And okay. and I didn't know that those girls were his daughter until he introduced me when I went over and said, um, hi, excuse me. And Richard Williams said, yeah. And he said, oh, hi, Sabrina. And um, and said, this is Venus and Serena, my daughters. And, and he introduced me as Sabrina. And I thought, well, that's weird. But I didn't want to say anything because, oh, wow, my dad's talking to me. So um, and those girls were there that day because I want to say, no, I'm, I think I, I, I still haven't figured out. I think. Venus is close to like 37 now, and um, I'm meaning v Serena's close to 37, and I think I think and um, Venus is like in her um, just beginning her 30s or a little bit after that, okay. and I think that um, they were probably maybe 13, 14, if that, and yeah, they probably were because I I think I have 15 years in, before the first one, and um, yeah, my dad he um, they were there to, to get to get the services of the guy who was doing all the Indian dances because he had been recommended to them for um, like movement and things. So that's mm -hmm. what he was there to, to do for them. So he they stayed with him and I walked around with my dad for about an hour and we just chit chatted and I didn't want to say anything bad about anything like where you've been or anything. And, mm -hmm. and then he gave me his number and said, call him that night. And I called him later that night after I got off work. We talked for about 10, 15 minutes. And then he said, call me tomorrow. And when I went to call him tomorrow, the, the phone was disconnected. I tried wow. it again. And I just said, oh, my dad probably didn't need to pay the phone bill. And that happened another time um, when a relative, I think maybe three or four years later. And mm -hmm. I just said, you know what? This guy is, is a butthole. I said another word, but I just mm -hmm. said, whatever. Yeah. And I just didn't really worry about him anymore and just went on. So I never really searched out my dad because I was in a different mindset. Like I'm your daughter, you know, you'll, you should come, you know, if you want to be, have a relationship. Right. Um, time went on. And um, I remember now that by this time I have, I think I have one child, my son, Elisha, and um, so, let's see, I was 33 when I had Elisha. Okay. I was a very late bloomer, um, but um, still dealing with, um, you know, having had an abortion in my mind on that part, though, but I, I was um, had Elisha, and I remember one of my siblings calling, I think it's my older sister, um, from my mom's first marriage who said, oh yeah, dad's in, um, at the time the girls were, Venus and Serena were playing at Indian Wells in Palm Springs. Okay. A few years later, they stopped playing there for whatever reasons. I don't even know what they were, but, um, and they, and they, everybody wants you to come out, including, um, Venus and Serena and see them and they'll give you tickets to the match. And I said, well, well, you can have dad calling me. I'm not out there to be people's fans. So my mm -hmm. dad called me we got in an argument about um, first my children not being of the pure race, which my dad considers himself of a pure race, African, or he calls himself not African-American black, that I'm black, I'm from the pure race and, and that. And so we had a, a, a really bad discussion mm -hmm. about how he was prejudiced and things like that. And then I see, he says, well, just still come on out and I'll, and I'll give you gas money to come out there. Cause I was really struggling with money. My, um, I think my ex-husband had been laid off from um, Boeing. Yeah. And Boeing had bought McDonald's. That's right. Okay. And so um, I said, um, 
okay. And he said, I'll call you back in an hour. He never, because I told him I'm not coming down there what, to be a fan of theirs. We can all get together and we can, Venus and I, and you can meet in the room. We can just talk about us being siblings and everything. And right. He said, okay. And I was acting like he was and said, call me an hour and never heard from my dad again. Wow. Never. Okay. That was it. And at that point, Epiphany hit me that it was no, it was not my mom. It was my dad. That was the the selfish person. Mm-hmm. He he he. At that point, I just said my dad is a walking sperm bank, and I said that to myself at that point. He's a walking <laughs> sperm bank. He doesn't care about nobody but himself. And um, and I do started to realize um, that I've blamed my mom this whole time for her keeping money from us. Because I was like, well, dad gave you the money. My dad never paid child support. He never did. Um, he somehow. He it, it was a weird system how he got out of that, mm-hmm. but um, never I don't think that it, I don't think it was something that was really pushed as it is now. Like, right. uh, well, I know I do know for a reason for from what my sister and some other people tell me, my dad had the papers sent to a different address, and they didn't check. Nobody checks and verifies like they do now. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, so they, um, so they, they didn't care. I mean, the courts is like, whatever, you know, yeah. just another couple of black people coming through. That's how I looked at it. And what mm-hmm. do they care? And so, no, um, but yeah, Hey, you know, it was just like, okay. Um, which was hundreds of thousands of child support dollars. And then, so it became where I graduated. I do. That's right. I did get a hold of my dad one. Cause I had to call a sibling because I need money to graduate from college. I didn't have it. Um, which was, I think it was a thousand dollars or something. Mm-hmm. Asked my dad, he wanted to make me a loan. And I said, wait, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Bank. I said, <laughs> wait a minute, wait. Did you just say this man was going to loan me. you this money? That's crazy. <laughs> it's yeah, crazy. Because I, I should have, because he said, and, I, and this was the funny thing, it's the second time he said to me, I'm like, he goes, because he had told me when my husband got laid off, well, if your husband had not been working for the man and owned his own business, he wouldn't have oh, lost his job. God. I was like, okay, dad, whatever. Then he said, well, had you been a better budget of your money? And I just said, you, you're crazy and hung up the phone. Um, but my one of my teachers, who was a Caucasian lady, Hampton Murray, who took um, the oath to never be married, um, I was basically her favorite student on campus, basically her child. <laughs> and she, um, she paid for school for me to graduate. Wow. Okay. So I graduated with a bachelor's um, in psychology. And of course, you went to a four-year university. Of course, you're going to get the Bible um, and all those. And so I had the bachelor's psychology, the Bible, and then um, went on to work. Um, I was, I've been, like I said, I've been blessed to get into jobs that a lot of people couldn't get into. I immediately was able to get into some group home jobs because mm-hmm. my major is um, marriage, family therapy, slash human services. I didn't go right straight into graduate school because I ended up starting to have some really bad emotional problems um, where I was depressed, crying and everything. I'm surprised that I was able to function at these jobs. This was amazing to me. Mm -hmm. I ended up going to a couple of psychiatrists. They had me on medicine. And then it really broke, broke down for me was for one day. Well, my mom called and asked, could my cousin, I, I had rented a house and, um, Asked if my cousin and her boyfriend come live with me. This was from one of my aunts, and these relatives never talked with me. I said, "Okay, cool, no problem." Mm-hmm. So my cousin came to live with me. She was supposed to pay rent, and she didn't. And I had bought a gun, 
and I had not because of her, but I had bought a gun because I was probation um, counselor in juvenile hall. I was thinking about going to probation officer. Okay. So I bought a gun. I've been practicing. And she just one day just said, I'm not paying the rent. And I just got upset. And, I, and she was going off of me telling me uh, she was better looking than me. I was nothing because I wasn't as light as her. And I just pulled the gun and I just cussed her out and said, you need to pay the, the um, rent. Put, went back, put the gun away and then took off to go see some of my friends. I don't know what it was. To come back and the police were there and she did a citizen's arrest. I, um, but I didn't go to jail, which was God. And I just, and then um, long story short, I end up, I took, cause I'm an honest person. Cause we're told whenever you get in trouble, like it. And I learned then that sometimes always telling the truth is not the best thing, but for God it's the best thing. Yeah. But in the human race, it's not. But I, so I told my boss what had happened couple weeks later, I was let go or laid off because I was a temporary help because I went from a permanent, I was transferred divisions from child protective services in Orange County to um, in, a, in the, on the main site to that one. So they let me go as, as a temp help. And I was like, okay, God, but the thing is when you get into the, when you, and this is how come sometimes people, and I, I try to tell people this all the time. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. And, and because I had known a lot of lawyers and was really good at, because um, my personality is just, I, I love everybody, but I was always making lawyers and stuff laugh. I got a lawyer and I got off on a misdemeanor that had really nothing to do with that. And I had to be good for um, two years on probation and it went off my record. Wow. And See, that was God. Because I, I should have never, God. that was God because you know what? I, all my jobs have been in the social services and you're not supposed to have any of that. And that's mm -hmm. really domestic violence. Even though I didn't hit anybody, it still is considered that, right? Yeah. So yeah. Didn't, get, didn't get that. I had to go, you know, I went to counseling and that's when I realized, you know what, I have more issues and started really recognizing my mental health. I have depression here. I have anxiety. I have some PT, PTSD going on. Um, when I got finally through some good psychiatrist, because I have this reflex that any time, if I'm not aware you come up behind me, even till mm -hmm. today, I will startle fast and scream. And I'm always on heightened alert, even till today. And there's a lot of things that have happened yeah. in my life um, and that I have not said happened okay. because of just because of relatives, because right. mainly because of some of my younger relatives, but I'm dealing with them and I recognize them and I don't, I'm never around those people. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things is, it's interesting because I just really start learning about myself and trying to slowly deal with myself and then um, continuing to get help and, and having counseling. And um, one thing God was showing me, which was really interesting because every time I go to counseling, I'd end up counseling the counselor because they were like, well, you know how to deal with your issues. And I'm like, you guys are really, and then I realized la years later, they're breaking boundaries, not even doing what they need to be. Yeah. So God was showing me things, but wow. I just like, I just kept seeing that. I said, especially in that. And then they asked me to be a probation officer, even after all of that. And I said, no. And they said, why? Because I'm not patient and I will shoot somebody in the butt. I'm just going to shoot you if you run. I'm not breaking. Because at that time I was all but a hundred and I had got to this point where I was exercising excessively twice a day mm -hmm. um, and just on a strict diet. And I was 170 pounds, 75 pounds dripping wet. I looked like an anorexic Ethiopian with big boobs. That's what the truth <laughs> was. And, wow. And nobody told me that. 
And they were like, oh, you don't look good. Yeah, but people tell you what you want to hear because they don't care. If they truly care, they would have told me. Yeah. So I, you yeah. know, um, but um, yeah. So that was that and God, and then, and then I, like I said, stayed good for two years and God, um, I got off that. And that's when I started realizing, you know, it's time for me to go back to school for my um, master's, but I didn't. So yeah, okay. not at that time. Well, Sabrina, I'm, we're going to take a break um, so that we can go ahead and get the sponsors in here, and then we're going to come back. And what I want to do is I want to actually talk about how the first time that you saw Serena and Venus and everything and the, the transition of them blowing up in your relationship with your father after they started becoming very popular. So um, let's, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Just go ahead and pay some bills right now. All right. Okay. Hello, this is Tanika Drake from God's gift through his word. You are tuned in to Miss Althea Richardson on the Wove Inspiration Channel, where you will get all your encouragement. I've recently written a book titled The Gift of Finding God's Love, Guilt and Shame Turned into My Shine. That is all about domestic violence and also God's love. So if you know anyone going through domestic violence, abuse, or a toxic situation, please share this book. Purchase it for yourself and get another copy for someone else who could utilize it. Once again, you're tuned into the Wolf Inspiration Station with Miss Althea Richardson. Take care. Be blessed. All right, and we're back. So let's go back to the day that, the days when Venus and Serena started to become really well known. And of course, your dad is on television as well. What what were your thoughts when you were seeing all of this happening before your eyes? Um, I was like, wow, this is, well, especially when they were younger, all I could say was wow, because it was a, um, you know how families, especially, well, I think all families, especially black families, you don't talk about certain things. It's just a hush hush. There was never a time to say anything um, that were not, not Venus and Serena. Cause I can tell you, I wanted to say a couple of things, but it was always look at the girls, look how they're doing, look how they're representing our community, look how, what, what they're doing for us. And I was always thinking, what are they doing for us? Like, are they talking about us as a family or us as a community? Cause us, they're not us. Yeah. That's what I say to myself. Cause you dare not say that in a family. Uh, mm-hmm. I was like, what us? Cause they're not doing anything for me. They're living large. And and I don't want to hear about overraised Compton and and they um, and they had struggled really hard and really I said to myself some because it's what one of my relatives told me I'm like yeah um, okay so my dad is taking care of their sisters which is five their half sisters mm-hmm. which I think was four or five from that family and them and they're all living together but we're over here struggling. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. This is things I would say to myself, would never say, cause I don't want my mom. You never say, you also because my mom was still alive at the time. You, mm-hmm. I never said anything cause I don't want to, I don't want to get her started or, yeah. you know, I think that would be really hard for her. And it, it had to be, so I was like, you know, 
I just felt a lot of times sorry for my mom, but my family, including my mom, always kept things hushed for me. They kept a lot of family secrets hmm. that they thought that I did not understand or know, or that I, I think at times my family thought I was mentally ch um, challenged and that I just was not comprehending. And hmm. I had to tell my sister this about two weeks ago. Oh no, I wasn't mentally challenged. I just thought you guys were crazy for leaving me out. So if I just acted like it, okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You guys want to believe that, but I knew, I knew more what was going on than you guys thought I knew, and I, and I can tell you exactly. And so that's what I told my sister a couple weeks ago, but I just let it go, you know. Um, yeah. It was, you know, just, no, I didn't really care about it, you know. Just, yeah. I, I don't you know, know. I just, because yeah. half the time I was trying to, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, was, I was getting ready to say, I don't, I don't know what it is about um, African-American families and secrets. I don't, I don't get that. I don't, I mean the secrets that are held in, in the family. And I know the term has always been what goes on in, in our house stays in our house, but then you're having the kids that grow up to adults still walking around with all of this hurt, pain, shame, guilt, whatever, and not being able to talk about what happened because it's always been instilled in your heart or in, in your head that you, you can't say nothing because you don't want somebody to be offended or you don't want to uh, start a bad reputation for the family and, and everything. I mean, what, what is your take on that? Because it's just, I, this I'm is really my part of it. <laughs> I think I have, a, you know, from working in the child protective services, I think what I have seen it's just not just African-American families anymore. Okay. The, what I'm seeing is that it's all families it's more deeper and bred for us, I think, because of the way that things have happened in time and we don't and we were always seen a certain way. So we kept secrets. You're absolutely right. We kept secrets yeah. deeper because we didn't want what people call the man or other people seeing us already downtrodden as they as their concept of the mind that they have for us. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, absolutely. So so now, so then it just, it seems like we're keeping deeper, which we do, some of families still do that because it's an image that that's being, they're trying to keep their families together and there's still a certain perception, even like I have to tell my boys, I try never to, and you know me well, I don't try to see everything as color, I try to see it as equal, but there's times where I've had to just tell my boys, look, you're African American, I'm gonna need you to pull your pants up, I'm gonna need you to, when you, when a policeman stops you, I'm gonna need you to do this, this, and this, and my sons follow those orders exactly. Mm -hmm. And because I don't want a perception of you to be seen a certain way, and blah, 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 so I think it's that, but I've seen from, seeing some hard cases, and um, it, especially in the last, when I worked for CPS for six years out here, hard cases where families of all kinds of colors were keeping secrets that, that from the rich or poor that nobody even knew about in the yeah. families until something happened that they, it was an accident that it came out. Hmm. And I just, and I, but I, um, I really think that the secret keeping um, is what led me to be suicidal. I think the secret keeping is what, because there were other things that were happening when my dad wasn't there that were happening by other relatives that were much older to me, on me okay. and there was nobody there to protect me. So I'm like, you know, this is not good. Mm -hmm. And this is why I now, this is what um, we were talking about in the break. I personally believe that everybody needs to have an ending to the story. That was one of the reasons I wrote this because 
I'm closing that chapter. So when this last person, this, this guy um, came out to do the article, this reporter, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. He didn't give me any money. I know he made money off of it. Didn't Mm -hmm. give me any money, nothing. And I didn't ask. And I didn't want it to be ever said that I was paid because I just wanted to close the door because I don't, I don't, you know what, now when, when Venus and Serena were coming up and even now, even in years, because I did one other article by Time Magazine and their book called Venus Envy, that's out, that if you read in the book and it says Sabrina DeVille, that was my married name, is Jealous of Venus. Well, the book on Venus Envy had nothing to do with Venus herself. It was on Venus and Steffi Graf and two other powerful tennis players at the time. Oh, right, right. But yeah. pe- because the guy said I was jealous, that's how he is. That's how, because I wrote to him about something he said about my dad and he had interviewed my dad and Venus and Serena and they didn't mention any of the other siblings. And I said, you know, this person has more siblings. My dad has more siblings on the other side, um, children and this guy. And I said, you should check your facts. I never gave that guy permission to to do that. He, He never wrote me back. Nothing. Next time I knew was when somebody told me, I think when she won her, third Grand Slam or fourth that somebody said, you know, you're in this book. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And at that time, I didn't read it until recently. It was when she just won her Grand Slam, I think a couple years back. And I went and I was like, oh my God, really? This is, this is sad. I have no reason to be bitter. I'm not jealous of them. And this is what I've tried to tell everybody. If I was so bitter and jealous of them and wanted money and wanted to be famous, I've had many opportunities. I would say probably about five in my whole lifetime, including one with a a, a famous commentary person. Her name was McCullough. And she came to me on behalf of my dad, Venus and Serena, and they wanted to do a commentary. But the commentary, the way that they wanted to do it was make my dad look good, but make my mom look bad. And I refused to do that. So, and I tried to, you know, help them go around and, and sort of kind of work it out, but they just said, well, we're just not going to do it. Everybody can find that commentary on Netflix okay. and they, um, and they, and, and the Venus and Serena at that time excluded me. And that's when I said, you know what, they may be, we may be related, but they're not family because family don't do that to family. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, um, that, and that's was me. That was my take on it. Wow. Okay. So um, there was a particular incident that happened um, when your mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and you tried to reach out to your dad because of the expense of the medical, um, the medicine and everything that she need. How, how did that go? When you well, tried? my mom um, had been diagnosed with breast cancer, I think, two or three years before and it, and they had, uh, it had, they were able to get it in her breast, but then later they found out it metastasized. There was a medicine that we were told from by my older sister and a doctor that would help with the, and now they didn't guarantee it was going to save her life, but they said it had great benefits to it. Right. Okay. But the pill was very expensive in uh, Medicaid, Medicare, where it wouldn't pay, uh, wherever they have in California, wouldn't pay for it. So, we were trying to reach out to my dad, but could never get a hold of him. But the funny thing is my dad was talking to um, my brothers and other siblings and he knew, but he just was not, he didn't step up. He didn't even come to her funeral. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I, and I, I know people who, I know people who have been divorced and hated each other, but 
have made each other's but has went to the funeral. So I'm like, wow, okay, Dad. Right. You're you right. really are you really are living up to the term of sperm bank. You can't even be fa- called father because I have one father and he's in heaven. Hey. And that's it. That's it. Wow. Wow. That that's and and I'm, I'm I guess I'm looking at it this from the standpoint too that I'm assuming that of course he was receiving a whole lot of money with. Serena and and Venus and everything doing what they're doing and and so there was absolutely no excuse for him not to provide something at the time when your when your mom was sick and no. for him to not even respond or anything that's crazy and not even to come you know you dude this is how I this is what I said I said you know what you and at that time I'm going to be honest. I said I should go on and do a reality show, but I'm going to not disgrace my mom's name like that. Mm. I will seem bitter. I'm not doing that. God was really good with about saying, keeping God, God has had a hand on me about compassion of people mm-hmm. and everything and what is right and what's wrong. That's bitter. That's not from God. That's not how it works. Mm. Um, and so I've that, and I, and, and by the grace of God, and I'm going to say this. Yeah. That's why Venus and Serena are blessed that I've never came at them for any money or anything or to talk bad because of the grace of God. And you haven't seen me talking bad about my dad on the media because, um, and I'm still in this article. I have nothing against my dad. You've been doing this interview. I have nothing against my dad. I have um, empathy for him and sympathy because I've, you know, I was told through people and read on, oh my gosh, I'm, Oh, Instagram. Somebody sent me the article and my dad, I guess it had a stroke a couple years ago and it's getting worse. And the funny thing about it is my, the, I just found out a year and a half ago, I have another brother that my dad, um, that's younger, he's thir- almost 40 or 45, 40 to 40 to 45. And he is executor of my dad's estate. What's interesting wow. is why isn't Venus and Serena the executor of the estate? Oh my. Okay. Yeah, that is interesting. Because so, hmm. all this yeah. time you've been, so there's things that with my dad that I'm just, and people are like, um, so what, the funny thing is about a year ago, I had to deal with the death of if my dad died, because somebody called me and said, oh, you're, I heard your dad died because they misread the whole article. And the funny thing is, I got upset a tiny bit, but I just said, okay, well, that's a person that died. I can't grieve for somebody that I did not know. Yeah. And that's wow. it. I can't. And I'm not going to be invited to the funeral. So I, cl- and that's when I said, I'm going to close this door. The real reason behind the article being done, because it's supposed to be done by another person, a really good friend of mine, but that person um, was really, they love Venus and Serena and really feel like every, and every time I talked to them, they were giving them sympathy and me, telling me I'm not understanding. I've had a lot of People from the black community tell me, and this has been all my life, that anything I write about them with articles, some people have come up and said, this is wrong, you shouldn't have did that, you disgraced the black people. They've done so much for the black people. Um, these these girls are not Althea Gibson or um, um, Arthur, Arthur Ashe or anybody mm-hmm. who has stepped up to help bring tennis into the world. Yes, they have, she, they're great athletes. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. super great athletes but have my dad stuck around what people don't understand is Althea at 55 now that I've gotten my 
my God has given me help my new body. Mm-hmm. Even before I went out, like at 40, I was playing volleyball and I can kick butt on volleyball. I can play softball. My youngest sister is one of the best athletes in the world. Had she not had mental health issues and got pregnant and stuff, she had one of the top scholarships in her time. And she's six years younger than me. Okay. My youngest niece, um, Alex, was five in a state of her time, um, I think 10 or 12 years ago, for athletes. She had a pick of I give it to my dad. He has, God gave my dad some great genes. He gave mm-hmm. my dad some great genes to pass on to his children and grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere in the, I mean, in the we article. Are, we are, I'm, I'm an athlete. Yeah, I know you. You very active. <laughs> I'll be watching you on on uh, Facebook and seeing all the different activities that you do, and I'm like, I yeah, I wouldn't be able to keep up with you, not at all. I'm just not like that. <laughs> that is not my nature. Um, one of the things though, I I did read in the um in your article was about um your son, um not wanting to take was it not taking a scholarship or something in tennis because he didn't want to he didn't want that pressure on him with his basically his aunties being in the um in that particular arena as well well the guy missed he sort of kind of wrote those words to himself but what it was was and said because we were supposed to do the article together but i guess when his editors they felt it would be a better story to put it that way but okay Okay. So Althea, my son was experiencing um, pressure just for um, everybody was like, you know, your relatives are playing. And then um, there was pressure from the academy that he went to. They were giving him scholarships. He got um, scholarships. I still have to pay money. But he, that, oh, your mom is you're doing scholarships. You got to do this. And so it was a lot of different pressure. I was actually pressuring him for uh, until about the last two years. He was when I just said, dude, you want to play or not? And then my husband was pressuring him because I realized my son was falling apart and he was starting to have some mental health issues. Okay. And this was a lot on him. And I just said, you know what? And he, and he, even with, he didn't have the best grades because my son is this kind of student. The dude can read a book and your test is the next day and he's never studied and he can pass. <laughs> he's one of them. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So he never put any effort into his schoolwork. So it always looked like, Oh, he, you know, he didn't do anything, but he, but he would take a, t- he passed his um, exit exams, two of them the first time and the second one, the s- and then the, the third one, the second time, my son is just, okay, whatever. Yeah. And, but, and then when he was in high school, because we had homeschooled him, took him away from friends and stuff. I think my son was just losing track of who he was. And I realized that. And that's when I said, you go to college, you don't. My son's still right now. He's so smart. Part of it now is just He's got to get his confidence that he can do college, but he's working. He's on his own. He's well, let me rephrase. He's living with mama married. I thought people would move out when they get married, but (laughs) not in my house, I guess. I don't know. Um, That's why I'm in Wyoming part of the way. Um, But anyway, um, (laughs) let me stop. I love my child. Um, Love my sons. Hi, Eli, (laughs) if you ever listen to this. Um, But um, yeah, so you know what? And I think the pressure from everybody and then the pressure of um, you can go to college, you should do this, and and everybody else is, and you're and always your aunties. That was everybody's thing, and I, and then me, it was 
I've paid, I've already put $200,000 into you. I'm going to need you to come up with it. So I think pressure from everybody. That's really what I wanted the guy to write. Not just, oh, it was because of, you know, Venus and Serena. Because it was, it wasn't, it was that they were his aunties, but the the article was written to, for more readers Mm -hmm. afterwards, after what I was told. Mm-hmm. so um but yeah that's the, the thing but my son is doing well now and um, but we had a, the sacrifice though for that was my youngest son was sacrificed as a sacrificial lamb and we tried to get him into getting in a tennis with my son which caused a lot of issues later on and I'm still dealing with my son with that with a lot of those issues and so I'm gonna tell parents anybody listen to this if you pull nothing from this article except that God was in control the whole time yes he saved me from a lot of bad things and brought me to be the one I am today and that you know what do not ever ever put your child into anything um because you're the other sibling isn't that children need to be independent yeah. it will be better to pull both out and spend the equal money on both of them than to focus on one because you will sacrifice your your child um for one you don't need to sacrifice one for the other one yeah. sometimes this is what I've learned that yeah. if you can't give it to your child, if you don't have the money, and you know what, it wasn't their time, mm-hmm. and go with that. So and that's a lesson I've learned hard now, and I, I'm still dealing with this with that. Oh wow! Okay. So let, the question of the day, one of the questions of the day, of course, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of the listeners are probably curious as to know why now, why talk about this whole situation with your father and, and, and with Serena and everything involved in it. Why, why even bring this up now? Well, the honest truth was, and it comes down to, um, you know, and I've had a couple of surgeries and I found out just before my knee surgery that they were going to do my knee surgery, that from my hip surgery, I'm a patient that doesn't do well under anesthesia and I lost some memory and they had a hard time waking me up. And so my doctor told me that when I was getting prepared for my knee surgery. And it sort of kind of put me into a position of being prepared for not waking up out of the surgery. Okay. And if that was God's will, and that I would just close the chapter, and, and that would be done. And people knew that I was never bitter. If I never woke up from that surgery, I want people to know I love my dad. I embrace him. I pray for him. I have no animosity or bitterness even toward Venus or Serena. I also want people to know that they made their choices and, and that was them. And, but it, they can't, and this is one of the other things I tell people, you can't just blame my dad now for not having a relationship because Venus and Serena are grown women. Now, mm-hmm. if you can choose to put one family, um, your other sisters on a magazine on Vogue, then you can put the other ones on. And that was the reason why, mainly out of, I just didn't, I wanted to, if I never woke up, I wanted people to know if I was, and plus if I was looking for money, you would have seen me being LaQuisha on Hollywood Boulevard (laughs) with 15 reality shows being crazy, but I never wanted to be a Meghan Markle sister. I never wanted to be one of those people Yeah. because it's not about me. It's about God. Hey, and that's the key. That's it right there. Yes, ma'am. And you, right now, as of now, you are a chaplain. She also has her own show, which is Rolling with the Diva. And I told y'all earlier, that's 
how I met her and was, was blessed and fortunate to be on her show. So tell me about what you're doing today. Well, I have been, um, I'm really starting to focus back on my show. My show is um, Rolling with the Diva. And what I'm doing is that show is focused on mental health. I focus on a lot on really trying to encourage, especially African-Americans, minorities, and women to take, check your mental health, take responsibility for it. Even if that means that you have to come out of the closet with what your family is you know, going on with you and your kids. And also just the fact that, you know what? It's okay to have you are. It's okay to have mental illness. You're not your mental illness. Yeah. Because this is what people don't r- realize. If you truly and I'm really, really starting to get in depth with the Bible. I didn't even know until three days ago that there's a Bible verse and it's in. I think it's in Psalms that God something like that. The God laughs at the wicked. I didn't even know that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is good. See, that's where God gave me my humor because that's why I'm always laughing at people who do things. I was like, so this is why I'm always laughing at them because, see, God laughs at the wicked. And I was like, wow. So God does have justification for us. He will take care of it. He's just laughing. And I'm like, okay, keep thinking that. Yeah. But, you know, the thing is, is that we're blessed and we just don't realize it. And you have to. And so with my show, I, um, I, I really focus on just... Um, I have the encouragement Bible, so I will read that really great Bible for people who are struggling with all kinds of things. But you're not your mental illness. God struggled in the Garden of Gethsemane to get on a cross for our happy butts. I'm going to be honest. So when people are like, what did God for do for me? He went through blood dripping from his head, from his blood vessels bursting. He went through depression and anxiety when he asked, you know, Father, take this cup from me. But God did it. And that's what I tell people on my show that God went through these things. He knows what you're going through. You can't give up. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Alfie. I just sound like I'm on my show now. No, no, just, no. You're fine. I, I, this is what, what people really need to hear because despite everything that you've gone through, and the key word being through, which means that you were, your situations and everything that you went through were temporary. And there is a way out, and there there is um, resources out there to 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 help people who are experiencing mental illness and people who have gone through all kinds of, of of things and everything. And it all boils down to also seeking God. Yeah, and I tell people you're absolutely right because I tell people every day on my show a couple of times. First about God, but two, like a lot of people know, I'm a resource queen. So I'll tell people two one one in any of the United States, people can dial and get resources for, and even more than now with COVID nineteen, you can get resources for housing. You can get resources for food banks. Um, there's you can get um, um, from low income to no payments to maybe you don't want to know let your company know for company records that you need housing. You can have that off the insurance and, pay, and get things paid yourself. There's so many resources for people. Like people don't even recognize Catholic Charities helps women that do not have any federal offenses to get housing for two years. The first year is free. And then you can, um, then the next year will be $25 a month. They help you get job. They give you furniture and they provide childcare. So I'm a resource queen. I, that's my thing for people because in order to talk about mental health illness, you have to have resources for people. Right. Exactly. You can't so, just and that's you know, what talk I, and about I'll have, it. And I have people call. 
Yeah. So I'll have people call me. I've had two people like during Thanksgiving, I posted about freebies and stuff. And people said, well, that's not in my state. I said, give me your email. And I found resources in their state. That's what I do. That's my gift. I don't charge people. People said I should just have a page and have people contribute $5. What if they don't have the $5 to contribute? Mm -hmm. Then they don't get a resource. Right. That's not me. God and God and people like, well, you know, and I'm like, I just know that this is where God has me. That's why I'm a ho- I'm going to be a hospital chaplain. And I know your husband, and I'm you know, so sorry of his passing. He was a great man. He did. He worked a lot with law enforcement. And I'm going to be doing recap, which is basically going around the world for things like with COVID and praying with people and being a chaplain, um, especially during um, if it's uh, dangerous events and things mm-hmm. like that happen at school and praying with people. So God has blessed me. Cause I can tell you what, when he told me, when he kept me in um, rehab for six months and I had to, he, and I said, God helped me figure out. And he kept, he had to keep me from one facility to the next. And I finally figured out, Oh, you want me to help people, but I talk a lot. And, <laughs> and also I'm not a hesitant Jesus to tell you go sit your butt down. So that's not what Jesus would do. Go sit down. So he said, I'm calling you to be a chaplain. And we we had to, we had a struggle with that because I was like, I'm not listening. I'm busy. <laughs> you better move on past me, God. And he just kept bringing it back. And now he um, he opened the door that I'm on long term disability because I had to because um, I couldn't work at my job. Mm-hmm. God not only gave me long term disability provided for me, but I'm like, I'm not going to be on staying home. I got a part time job and because I got a part time job. They now increase my long-term disability to help me be successful. Most of my chaplain classes are going to be free and I'm getting money to pay for the ones that are not. That's God. That is definitely God. Wow. That's amazing. Sabrina, how can people get in contact with you on social media, follow you, ask you any questions, get some resources from you? Well, I'm going to be honest because people don't give out their number, but I'm going to be honest. Look, people don't, you know what? First of all, just call me because I'm old school. I'll pick up the phone for you. You can always just text me and say, I heard about you on Althea's show. If you call and text me and say, I heard about Althea and you're a man and you're trying to date me, the devil is a liar and Jesus is going <laughs> to get you. So don't do that. Hey. Okay. Um, I'm just saying, because don't. But my phone number is 951-552-3292. That's what I'm here for. God gave me a phone. I'm not worried about it. Call me. Or diva at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook under Sabrina Williams, Sabrina Deneen Williams on, in, um, on Instagram. Always just look for Sabrina and I'm there also on Twitter. And, um, and I will soon actually, God has finally said, I need to start a blog because I am so compassionate about people and lives. And I want to write stories for people to read and um, share with other people. So I will be starting a blog and, um, and guys talk to me about my procrastination. <laughs> yes, the diva procrastinates. And, um, but I'm very excited. I'm excited because this is the real opportunity. I've really had real time. The first time I've ever really had time to tell my story. God had me reach out to um, Althea. And um, I really thought she was going to reject me, but that's the enemy lying. That's my old self-esteem. But let me tell you, Jeremiah 29, 11, 
I know the plans I have for you to give you a hope in a future. God has us for all of us. Some of us are called to be preachers. Some of us are called to be teachers. And some of y'all ain't called to be anything but stay home. So don't be trying to preach at a church and start your own just to get tied. I'm sorry. Amen. No, you I'm sorry. I just have to say it. I just have to say it because I'm about humor. That's why I think God wants me to be a chaplain because I'm like the, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a, um, Modern day little mother, no, um, little mother Teresa, but I got a little extra spin on it. So, okay. Yeah, so, and, and people need that. They really do. They, it's lighting up just a little bit, you know. It yeah, ain't got to I'm, be that serious. Because God ain't serious, because if he can be laughing at, because he's, I, I, when he, when he's saying he laughs at the wicked, I'm like, he is really laughing hysterically right now. But <laughs> to say this, for some of you guys, for COVID-19, it happened. You know, only God and you know why it happened for you. But for mm. some of y'all, God is calling you not to be on 50 Zoom meetings. He's calling you to sit down and spend some time with him because hey. that that's the purpose and to learn to be alone with him. And if anybody does not recognize with the great, great radio show that, because Althea really has, her and Queen Sylvia has, much better formats on our show. Me, I just go free for all, but they have some great shows. If you're not listening to this show and you're not listening to what she has to say and her compassion for people in life and what she does, especially for us African-American people, then you just you just don't need no Christmas presents or cake. You, you're just missing. Hey. I'm sorry. I'm trying not to say these things. No, 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 no. I'm just no, determined that they come out of my mouth. Sorry, I'll be quiet now. You are good. You are good, I'll Sabrina. Be quiet for two minutes. I, I am again. I am so fortunate and blessed to have had you on my show. Thank you so much for sharing your story, um, for sharing your heart, for being transparent, and for just for just being you. Seriously, I just love you to death, and I really look forward to us meeting face to face one day. And it's gonna happen. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, no, you think it's not going to happen soon? I have went from, let's see, I left home. I got to rent a car on Monday. I drove up to St. George, did some work, drove to Salt Lake City, did a little work. And by, and then I was off Wednesday. Today, I had work. I'm in Wyoming, Jackson, Wyoming. I'm heading to Idaho next. I'm doing all this because one thing God has said to me, this is the reason I'm here for two reasons. I don't live in Las Vegas. It's not a place for me for a ministry, but what is, and God also wants to show me that I need to be retired in a different place. And the other one is that he created the earth and he will say when I die and I'm to get my butt up and travel because guess what? The first night I checked into a motel six, a girl, I said, Oh, you like, you're tired. And she says, no, I was just told my mom had the coronavirus. God wanted me there to pray for her mm. because the next day when I left, I left her a card. For prayer. Wow. Yeah. He's got you in the God's like, you're gonna go travel. Yes. That's it. And oh, he wants me good. there. And he and this is because when I and that's God. So that's what I'm telling people. You just you know, no. So thank you for letting me be here because yes. it is an honor to share my real story yes. with you for the this is the the real story has come out on Althea Gibson's Wolf show and it is amazing. The women of vision because it has allowed me to really um really let people know. And I'm glad that I did it here because you know what? It's amazing. And Dang. you, Oh, don't worry, my friend, I'm going to meet you. Cause I, I am, um, I'm Colorado and Texas are my next. And those are not going to be, um, it'll be no less than three months. I'm on it. I got it. Cause God, okay. you, 
have a car, we'll travel. <laughs> they think okay. they're going to delay me by a plane. <laughs> okay, now, before we go, uh, Sabrina, it's Richardson. You've been calling me the tennis player. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. It's fine. I was like, this is hilarious. I am, I, I'm the tennis player. No, no, I don't. I, I hit the ball too, way too hard to even attempt to try to play tennis. But anyway, um, again, Sabrina, thank you so much for being on the show today. And um, I look, like I said, I look forward to us getting together and meeting face to face one day very soon. Hi, this is Althea with Wove Inspirations, the Monday edition. You guys have an awesome day and God bless. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to Wove Inspirations, the Monday edition. If you enjoyed what you heard, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts, where you can leave a comment about the show. If you are interested in being a part of this show, you want to be a guest and share your inspirational story, email me at W-O-V-E inspiration at gmail.com. This is Althea. I hope you guys have an awesome day. Keep moving forward and God bless.